Last week on Let's Talk Supply Chain, we had two brand new episodes for you. In the first, I was joined by TJ for this month's episode of our Woman in Supply Chain series. After achieving her master's from Harvard, TJ became a mathematics teacher before changing direction to enter the world of supply chain, where she is now a leader in the reverse logistics space. So of course, we talked about the fascinating career pivot and everything it taught her on the show. We took a closer look at reverse logistics and what TJ is doing with post-purchase solutions. We talked about sustainability and also about industry awards, motherhood, and building supportive workplace cultures. TJ is such an interesting woman. We really had a multi-faced conversation and covered a lot of ground, so I hope you took a lot from the show. The second of last week's show was the fourth and final episode in our Wise Tech Global mini-series. This mini-series has been a joy. It's I've had some incredible conversations, and last week was no exception. I was joined by Tudor Maxwell to take a closer look at logistics digitization and the role of people in its success. With 41% of people in a recent survey sharing that they had difficulty adapting existing processes to new tech, Tudor and I talked about what can be done to make these transitions easier from change management and best practices to collaboration and creating opportunities for ongoing education. We also talked talked about how to sit in the uncomfortable, because that is where the innovation and the change management magic happens. If you missed either of these episodes, you can catch up over on letstalksupplychain.com, on our YouTube channel, or anywhere else that you subscribe to the show. Women in Supply Chain was episode 372, and WiseTech was episode 373. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. When you're looking for cutting-edge resources on innovation and trends across supply chain, where do you go? What about when you're on a mission to find like-minded professionals and cultivate relationships that go beyond an emoji reaction? And what about when you're trying to generate leads, build campaigns, and get ahead of the game in the unique world of supply chain marketing? Supply Chain has been missing a single collaborative hub that brings people and ideas together in an environment that is safe yet stimulating for everyone until now. Just one platform that's as dynamic and innovative as you are. Welcome to the Secret Society of Supply Chain, a private network for the supply chain community. An industry first brought to you by supply chain media entrepreneur, Sarah Barnes-Humphrey. The Secret Society of Supply Chain brings professionals of all backgrounds and experience levels together in the industry's largest dynamic network, focusing on industry learning and career development, as well as networking and community. The Secret Society of Supply Chain hosts all the content, connection, and creativity you need for supply chain success. But which group is for you? Well, head over to letstalksupplychain.com, find the Secret of Society banner, and take the quiz and join our waitlist. There are limited number of spots available, so make sure to get on that waitlist so that you are one of the first into the Secret Society of Supply Chain.
Hello, and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. Before we start the show, I have a question for you. Trade disputes have a significant impact on things like pricing, availability, and regulations around the world. So how much has foreign investment in China fallen due to its trade dispute with the U.S.? Let me know your guesses over on social and keep listening because I'll let you know at the end of the show. So today I am joined by a brand that is on a mission to democratize supply chain planning with a platform that helps businesses large and small to move forward faster with greater agility, resilience, confidence, and sustainability. And Gaines is the company that's going to be joining me today. So Gaines is the supply chain performance optimization company. Its platform drives faster, smarter decisioning everywhere inventory matters. So with Gaines, supply chain teams can make all the right decisions at speed and scale to right-size inventory, strengthen performance, and fulfill customer promises and achieve rapid results. And it's Bill Benton, co-founder at Gaines, that is joining me for the show. As co-founder, Bill is focused on product strategy, customer relationships, and global partnerships, and he has a passion for sustainability that I cannot wait to hear all about. Today, Bill will be telling me about gains, its evolution over the years, and vision for the future, building customer trust in a competitive market, achieving carbon-neutral through direct initiatives, not offsets, and why Gaines is committed to democratizing supply chains. So welcome to the show, Bill. Sarah, thank you. Happy to be here. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to chat today. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. I mean, this is the first of three special shows with the team at Gaines because there's just so much to talk about. And I'm really looking forward to kicking things off with you today because I know you have a really unique perspective on the industry and you and I share a number of passions, you know, sustainability, customer success, just being two of those. And so I'm really looking forward to finding out more about you and about Gaines. So why don't you start us off by giving us an introduction so we can get a feel for who Gaines is and what you do before we do a bit of a deeper dive. Sounds great. Um, look, the I would say the essence of, of what we are and where we come is, is in part where we come from and also how we approach problems and sort of our attitude towards teams, customers, uh, and and the environment in which we operate. So to start, um, you know, we're a four decade old technology company, right? So that's that's a bit of an oddity. Um, we think uh, it's, it's an essential asset for us. We're on our sixth generation of technology rework where we've done some clean slate thinking, taking all the sort of uh, battle tested learnings from prior generations of what we do and what we do is in supply chain planning and design um, and how we bring that forward using new tools, new ideas and, and propagating that forward. Um, we started here in the Midwest of the US. So, you know, we deal with uh, across all continents, global companies, companies headquartered in Europe and Asia and Australia and, and Latin America, as well as the US, but we still have that uh, Midwestern sort of ethic of putting the customer first, being pragmatic um, and persevering. So the other sort of element about us, I think, is that 
we want to sort of democratize world-class planning. And to do that, we focus on sort of a bimodal strategy from a customer size perspective, both very large, uh, you know, people with 40 million SKU locations, large scale retailers or global um, beauty products organizations down to $250 million, two DC, 10 branch distributors, right? And, and, and not everything in between, right? There's sort of medium, medium large and extra large. And we think we can learn and innovate uh, in both directions. And you mentioned the word bimodal. What does that mean exactly? Yeah. So forgive my nerdy statistical terms. My, uh, my background's in decision science, which my father, who was a professor of industrial engineering at Purdue, uh, referred to as the failure, I'm sorry, the refuge of the failed engineer. So I tend to <laughs> act statistically nerdy. So bimodal means if you were to look at, say, a graph showing the number of customers by customer revenue, and let's say it had two peaks, right? Each peak is called a mode. So for us, we're bimodal in that about half of our revenue is from very large customers and about half of our revenue is from a larger number of medium or medium large customers. Hmm. Um, so it's sort of a, a two peak, uh, two concentration sort of customer base. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Now, your father, speaking of your father, he founded the company that later became Gaines and the landscape of supply chain was very, very different back then. So talk us through your father's passion, vision, and some of Gaines' evolution since then. Sure. So um, some of the first projects he had were for the Department of Defense other large organizations in Chicago, like McDonald's or Schwinn Bicycle, which used to be here, et cetera. And, you know, what he tried to do was replace heuristics or rules of thumb, right? People talk about for my inventory class A items, I want X weeks of stock. For B items, I want Y weeks of stock. And these things were used by cutting edge organizations and really uh, were just accepted without a lot of uh, analytical rigor. Um, and he wanted to bring analytical rigor, use models to do prediction and optimization and do it at the maximum scale available at then current architecture. So I think what was inculcated there is not accepting the status quo. We're not getting business right. requirements and trying to emulate or automate existing procedures. We're trying to innovate, but in a practical way that people are willing to use and can understand how to use how to improve these things with, at the time, cutting edge algorithmic cap capability, right? So what did that mean in the 70s, right? It was very different from what that means in today's age where we're using machine learning for things like predicting lead time or doing multi-period demand modeling, algorithmic assessment, right? To do demand sensing, but also long range demand planning. And these other constructs, but the idea that you should always take a refresh view on the core problems in supply chain planning and, and now design um, to try to solve them at scale in a nearly automated but explicable fashion. Amazing. And supply chains have looked really different over those decades. I mean, you're talking about the 70s up until now, 2023, and we've been through so many different 
you know, economic disruptions, financial disruptions, socioeconomic, political disruptions up until today. And I can only imagine how it's, um, you know, really moved with uh, the times and what supply chain professionals have had to go through. But what I really like hearing is that he really didn't want to go with the status quo. And it sounds to me like you have kept that going throughout the years. And that's what we need when we look at partnering with a company like Agains. And so after some time as CEO, you be you became co-founder last year. So talk to us about your vision. What is happening in the industry right now? How is that informing how you intend to drive gains forward as an organization, but also thinking about your clients in the industry? Yeah. Um, so you, you, you hit on... Uh, construct here, which is sort of increasing volatility across time, right? Mm -hmm. Whether that's um, socioeconomic or obviously the pandemic, uh, elongated supply chains that are much more brittle, right? So things like uh, just-in-time converting to just-in-case, right? People realize that you won't get the same container full every week, come day in, day out at the same price, that things are going to uh, disrupt those flows and you have to be able to buffer for that and understand the volatility and variability. So, you know, to, to answer your question first about CEO to co-founder um, there really three pronged strategy there. Um, one is I've, I've mentioned planning and design. Our view is that we were very steeped in planning, but we think that the complexity again, to your point of the supply chain is increasing and to look at things like doing design in a silo, maybe that's a periodic project that happens once every X quarters or Y years, and then looking at tactical planning and then looking at execution and trying to think of these as siloed functions um, really wasn't going to work out. So I knew that I was very steeped in one of those subject matters, right? And I felt I was an expert there, but we needed to expand. And that was not something where I had a large sample size. My sample size of incorporating uh, uh, adjacent but separate technologies and organizations was zero. So worked with uh, some investment uh, partners that were very growth-oriented, new supply chain generally across all these areas, to bring in some additional subject matter experts and expertise to help us build a world-class organization that covered all these areas. And as co-founder now, that gives me more time to focus on fulfilling the vision and mission of democratizing world-class planning. So the goal is to sort of help manifest our vision. And when you're running a company and worrying about um, revenue recognition and HR issues and accounting and tax optimization, you have less time to focus on the customer and the vision. So in this role, um, I'm grateful to have a lot more time to do that, including what we mentioned earlier about democratizing planning, right? And that bimodal, how do I take uh, the largest global organizations innovations and make them accessible to mid-tier and upper mid-tier companies? Um, and we think that's a big part of keeping, you know, capitalism thriving, particularly those companies that are looking to do that in a sustainable fashion. And that's also where a bit of design comes in because you can add, say, reduced carbon footprint as an objective for your design function, right? And that's by just accepting your flows and network as is. So these are, these are great expansions. 
and I'm focused there and then working with particular customers that are looking to embrace the entire vision um, and making sure that 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 we follow through and that these innovations are tested and uh, and successful. Yeah, I think the testing is key, right? We want to make sure that what we're building is not only right for us, but right for our customers, their customers. And I think you're right about design. I mean, if we think about the pandemic and how it's really changed how we look at supply chain and what that looks like, people are redesigning. Supply chain professionals are looking at how to redesign and replan, remap out that supply chain. And, you know, our vendors are overseas. Well, maybe we want to move some of that to uh, Mexico, right? Which I know a lot of organizations are taking a look at. Um, Where are the free trade agreements that can help us uh, and enable us to move products a little bit easier? Maybe, and I know there's also a program out there where you can move products into Canada and then move it into the US as well. So there's a lot of different options. There's a lot of different ways that supply chain professionals can go. And I think it's really important that we not only can be creative in our design thinking as supply chain professionals and bring that creativity um you know, to light in our everyday, but then also testing and executing to make sure that it is what we think it's going to be for that organization. Now, you talked about the bimodal and you gave us a bit of an idea of what that looks like as far as who your ideal client is and who you work with, but you're very focused on customer relationships. So who are the organizations that you work with? Um, I think they're small, uh, or you said medium to very, very large. Is there particular industries or, or anything like that? So before I answer that, one thing to think about is like the ideal customer, right? What are their attributes? Um, and I think of that along four dimensions, skill, scale, aptitude, and attitude, right? So from a skill perspective, do they want to invest in their people and do some of the things you're mentioning, right? Like before, once every five years, you'd renegotiate a contract with an offshore vendor and just have a single flow, which wasn't very resilient, going from one port to one port. And that was your, and you argued about unit cost over one or 2%, right? And now, as you mentioned, you're, you're going to have not only different flows, but to be resilient, typically multiple flows, right? So how do you work with people that want to skill up and not outsource to a consultant once every three years of design, but have that as part of their standard event-driven skill set, right? Not even quarterly, but as things change, right? The yep. port of Long Beach is congested. How do we want to become more resilient? Do we already have playbooks where we've simulated and tested this in a digital twin and now have some idea about like, here's options A, B, and C. Now, we didn't know which of those would be optimal because conditions are going to be different when this actually happens. Right. But you're not starting with a, with, a, with, a clean, with a clean sheet of paper, right? So as it relates to scale, you know, do they have enough scale? And for us, scale is going to be one of three things. So going into like what industries we work with, you know, the, the G in gains is for general. So we've actually resisted verticalization okay. because we think these problems that we're talking about are sort of universal in the supply chain. I will mention a few areas where we happen to have clusters of of customers. But um, when we talk about scale, are they inventory intensive, right? So inventory is a buffer for uncertainty and a means of resilience. So we look for that. Sometimes people are less 
inventory intensive, but they do have a lot of expediting, right? So they're making up for that with air freight or buying at a premium when they stock out. And so do people do a lot of expediting? Is there scale of expediting? And then lastly, is there scale of decision costs? So gains were focused in one of our vision areas that I, uh, I digress a little bit here, but I overlooked is how do we automate and engineer decisions? Mm-hmm. So automation. So there's people like Textron Aviation that were able to do twice the work with 60% fewer human touches. And those people were able to be more customer facing rather than back office, right? Which is a cost center, not a revenue generating center, right? So, uh, so those types of things. Um, when I talk about attitude and aptitude, I think, you know, there's skills, people that want to skill up. Aptitude is, you know, can they run, right? Do they want to go from some people just want to walk, some want to jog, some want to sprint. And we're happy to work with all of them. But where I'm focusing my time now are those that want to go to jogging and then jogging to sprinting. So that continuous improvement. And then attitude, you know, is it a fun challenge or is it an arduous task, right? If it's if it's the former, great. If it's the latter, happy to do that, but probably a little bit different, narrower focus. Um, as it relates, yeah, sorry. Uh, I can mention just a couple of industries. So, yeah. you know, large-scale distribution, um, including electrical distribution like Rockwell Automation and all of their, uh, most of their uh, authorized distributors, um, metals, uh, you know, uh, discrete manufacturing, some retail. Um, so these basically, it, it would seem a little bit of a hodgepodge, but what they have is they all have two or more of those three key attributes that I mentioned. Yeah. And um, and we've we've been able to focus there well. Also complexity in, in scale. Another one is com- complexity in product scope, like number of SKUs. If you yeah. have five products, right, versus five million. Yeah. And I'm glad that you broke that down as far as scale, because sometimes we use a word and it means different things to different people. And so in respect to who would be ideal to work with gains, those are very distinctive groups of how people think and how people actually scale their businesses. Now, one of the things that you said was the number of SKUs. And I know the through the pandemic, there were some companies out there that actually reduced some of their SKUs. And because you were also talking about just in time and just in case. And um, I know that some organizations adjusted for that to go to just in case, but some kept the just in time and just adjusted the amount of SKUs that they have as well. So again, we're talking about that design element. What is it that is working for your organization? How do we test it? What does it look like? What does scale look like to us? And is GAINS the right partner for us to be able to help to do that? So I appreciate you for sharing that. Now, you have so many amazing testimonials and success stories on your website. Can you paint us a picture of how you've worked with a client? What was the benefit or ROI that they saw from the partnership with you? Thank you. Great question. Going back to the uh, one point you made about uh, design and, and SKU management or often called rationalization, that's a great, you you raised a great example. Like maybe you have, you know, 200,000 SKUs and it should be 40. Um, the design elements really help you manage that and understand how to qualify that and how you can trade off complexity for revenue and sort of the long tail management quandary. Um, but but getting into sort of how do we go in and understand is that the area of value elsewhere um, to your direct question here? 
We try to look at doing pilots to estimate impact with real data, right? And that can be as detailed as running a holdout data set where we roll back six months and say, what would have happened had we used these models over the last X months, right? Mm -hmm. Secondly, um, we, we try to look at how do we take those impacts and think of a simple quadrant of, we call it milk and honey, right? That's high impact, low time, low effort, right? So that's sort of up here. And then you have, say, high impact, larger effort, right? That might be transformation, quote unquote. But so many projects get mired in this digital transformation mindset and they die of their own inertia because, or they descale it to the point where it's a shadow of its original aspiration. Um, we, you know, our, our credo, and I hate to sound cheesy, but it says move forward faster. How that manifests in reality is how can we create a win every quarter, right? So if we're going to have a phased implementation, maybe the first thing we do is as simple as I want to do better prediction of lead time because simply predicting lead time better because I've, you know, the pandemic increased lead times. Now it's decreasing lead times. And we saw the same lead time we had in there when we created the item four years ago. And maybe just that can, you know, create a 10% uh, inventory reduction or a 30% reduction in stockouts. So we've focused on those elements, for example, for Q1, Q2 could be demand planning, Q3 could be purchase line automation, right? And decision automation. That's a sort of a random sampling, but that sort of phased approach. And then lastly, uh, doing things uh, as a uh, fixed fee. So creating the, the first of all, a joint accountability. We're trying to get this done. Nobody has an incentive to go long, right? If you're billing hours and you can be very ethical, but there is a subliminal incentive that as this grows, right? So does our revenue. And for us, uh, we're very focused to your direct point on how do we generate 500% recurring return on investment, right? Looking at that impact quadrant, how can we find that so that as the investment in time and subscription or whatever else grows, right? That we're always delivering a 5X on that. And that project quarter one is paying for quarter three, right? It's not one lump sum. And then maybe you get some return five quarters hence. Amazing. Five times the investment. I mean, that is quite the statement and not really something that I hear from a lot of companies that are out there working with supply chain professionals. But really what that means is you're partnering for not only their success, but also for their growth as well. And so I like to hear it. I'm sure the audience is liking to hear that too. Now let's talk about how decisions within the supply chain have changed. Um, because I know that obviously right now there's a lot of talk about AI and ML. I mean, is that really the solution? How do you feel about that? Well, to start, it's not a panacea, right? So this idea that every problem in supply chain can be resolved with uh, 10 people writing Python models to do machine learning um, is incorrect, right? So there's some things that machine learning does better, mm -hmm. some things that it does faster, some things that it does that we couldn't do before, and other problems that really have very little to do with machine learning, right? So machine learning doesn't optimize, right? So if you're trying to optimize your flows within a network, I would argue that except for maybe some extremely cutting edge and not yet deployed anywhere modeling, that doesn't exist, right? So 
our view is ML can be very useful for, for prediction. Um, so we use that to, I mentioned a couple of cases, predict lead times. It can help predict demand where you have a model by period rather than the best model, best fit model for every period. Mm -hmm. Because for example, if you ask me, what's the weather likely to be tomorrow? My forecast model is what's the weather today? Right. That's probably going to beat any other model you could come up with. But if you say, what's the weather in Ontario in January, first of all, I'd say too cold. Yes. But secondly, I would use a very different model than what's the weather today, right? I might use the farmer's almanac or what's the average of the last three years, or are we in a El Nino or La Nina cycle or whatever it might be, right? So, so it's very good at that. It's also very good at anomaly detection, like where do we have uh, large orders and aren't repeating or where did I have lost sales and I should plan on having more sales in the future or automation, right? How can I witness a super user go through purchase orders, approve certain lines, adjust other ones, and then emulate that? So there's a great book called Running With the Machines rather than Raging Against the Machines. And the idea there is you have these super users that are training the models and magnifying their impact. Well, and you talk a lot about democratizing the supply chain. So talk to me a little bit about that. What exactly does that mean? What kind of impact do you think that's going to have on the industry? So, you know, first of all, what does it mean? It means that you don't have to have a large transformation project to stand up something that has high value, right? And that means that you need to have a system that out of the box can do some self-parameterization, right? How can we go into an organization that has little or no or seriously backlogged decision science teams and bring machine learning to them, right? In a way that uses data that's reasonably available, right? Doesn't require a long tail, you know, cleanup of data, right? Everybody talks about garbage in, garbage out. And our view is, you do what you can with the data that's available given its quantity and hygiene, right? And then you need to work with that, not try to work through it, right? So, so it means um, also that we're looking at companies that are in the growth cycle and maybe hundreds of millions of dollars of US revenue rather than billions of dollars. And how can they run their supply chains at 80 to 90% of the efficiency of people with a lot more scale and a lot more resources. So what does that mean? You know, we think it sort of means harnessing a little bit of the entrepreneurial spirit, right? We don't want to see an ossified climate where four companies dominate every industry. We think innovation declines and upstarts don't have scale, but they need, you know, world-class capability to compete. And that's what we're trying to bring Interesting. And I like the entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, we talk about bringing back innovation, creativity, giving supply chain professionals more time to think strategically as well when we think about AI, ML, maybe some robotics, right? Um, and I like the fact that you're talking about entrepreneurship within an organization as well, because that sparks innovation. It sparks responsibility. It sparks actually owning what it is that you're doing and how that's going to affect your supply chains, your customers, the organization. So can you tell us about your recent customer conference? It's called the Gain Summit. What was on the mind of your customers and 
What is Gaines delivering that is bringing sold out crowds to the event? I mean, sold out crowds to a user event. I mean, that's pretty outstanding. And so what were some of the standout memories or discussions that people are having right now? Sure. Yeah. um, Look, it was exciting. So the first time I ran that 25 years ago, we had two lecture halls at the University of Chicago where I went to school Mm -hmm. and struggled to fill those. Right. Um, Okay did some presentations in Harvard graphics, right? So this was, this was a humble beginning, right? And so to, to actually turn people away, why, why do I think uh, that occurred, right? First is uh, we're trying to both listen to our, our customer base. It's, it's very bi-directional conference. This is us saying, here's what we want to sell you next year. It's us trying to say, what are the problems with which you're contending and how can we work together to brainstorm solutions? Here's some tools that we provide. Here's what we want to build into the solution that's templated and ready to go. Give us feedback on that. Is this hitting the mark based on where, where your problem sets are? And so I think that the bi-directional nature, the combination of being innovative and pragmatic, and then the ability for these people to share ideas amongst each other where we're not chaperoning any of that. And we really encourage that throughout this. Customer advisory boards that exist without us involved, right? How can people within vertical niches, you know, Midwest discrete manufacturers that share a lot of the same vendors for raw materials, how can they work together to understand how they've solved problems with gains and with things they've added to gains? Um, so, you know, what what were some of the topics? I think I've mentioned most of them, right? This idea that we're no longer looking at design, optimization, planning, and execution, as these silos and they're done with different solutions mm-hmm. by different people, the, there are decisions you make that need to cross all four of these. And I think that's our vision for that and being able to do that without a $20 million four-year project, but to do it with quarter by quarter wins is very appealing. Um, and a lot of those sessions, um, it was great to see. It was at the end of the conference and they were the most packed sessions, right? So you don't usually see the last day of the conference, the last right. session with stand-up crowds, right? So that was exciting. (laughs) Amazing. So I'm guessing that you unveiled maybe what the future holds for gains at this user conference. Can you let us in on a little bit of what the future does hold for gains? Yeah, you know, it's uh, in addition to sort of this blended comprehensive view, um, my son's a teenager, so things that are cool in his world are dope. And I like that because dope is design, optimization, planning, and execution. Okay. So anyway, I, I get it. My marketing team hates when I say gains is dope, but I, I still say it because I can. Um, but secondly, uh, some of the things we're talking about, a couple of concepts. One is a, another acronym, but I think it's useful called VUCA, which is this idea, and you alluded to it earlier, that we have increased volatility, increased uncertainty, increased complexity. Right. Um, and these things are leading to the need to be able to do rapid cross functional decision making. So, how can we manage VUCA in a way that is around engineering decisions rather than a cadence of process? You know, like with sales and operations planning, every first Tuesday of every month, we're going to look at these 50 charts and we're going to do these things as opposed to. You know, I just had a vendor who had a fire at their plant and I need to now replan my provisioning and or my production line or what have you. How can we work towards a decision-centric 
approach to optimizing the business and its supply chain as opposed to a cadence of procedures that may or may not be important at that moment, but just it happens to be the first Tuesday of the month. So this is what we do, right? And that 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 pivot towards uh, engineered and optimized decisions that manage the increased VUCA that we're seeing. Well, I can't wait to see what else you come up with. And I can't wait to see what happens at your next summit, which is going to happen, I think, in 2024. So in a world where uncertainty is the only certainty, building resilient supply chains and securing value from every investment is no longer a luxury. It's a necessity. From natural disasters to political unrest, the global supply chain landscape is increasingly volatile, and the business stakes have never been higher. Working in this age of disruption demands a new mindset and updated strategies. And by investing in technology, collaboration, continuous improvement, and aligning with trends, businesses can navigate these challenges and build greater supply chain resilience. And you can do that with GAINS. They have the tools you need to make informed decisions that minimize risk and maximize performance to build resilience, gain competitive advantage, and set your business up up for ongoing success. And did you have a guess at today's big question? Well, at the top of the show, I asked you, trade disputes have a significant impact on things like pricing, availability, and regulations around the world. So how much has foreign investment in China fallen due to its trade dispute with the U.S.? Well, those disputes have led to a more than 80% year-over-year plunge in foreign investment in China during the second quarter of 2023, Causing a boost in the trend of nearshoring supply chains to Latin America. And that could have a huge impact on your supply chains. If you'd like to find out more, you can check them out at gainsystems.com. And a massive thanks to Bill for joining me today and to the team at Gains for making this episode happen. Bill, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Sarah, it's been a pleasure. Great questions. And thanks for the opportunity to chat. Did you know that the average cost of losing an hourly supply chain worker has reached $19,607? And that recent research shows that 77% of hourly supply chain workers are considering a job change in the next three months. This could have a huge impact on your productivity, bottom line, and culture. Workstep is helping supply chain companies to better engage their distributed hourly workforce at scale. Understand the true reasons behind their workforce turnover and take actions to make positive changes and reduce attrition. Workstep has successfully helped many companies reduce their frontline worker turnover by up to 36%. Visit workstep.com to learn more. If you would like to hear more from us, we have plenty more content for you featuring the best and the brightest in the industry. Head over to letstalksupplychain.com to check out the latest. And if you have a supply chain challenge, we have most likely had them or the solution on our show. So make sure to use the search function. We also have some filter functions on our blog and our podcast to help you find that content so you can listen and hear about their solutions and see if it's the right fit for you. And remember to come back next week where I'm going to be joined by Don from OptiLogic. OptiLogic's cloud-native supply chain design solution enables businesses to build digital models of future supply chains 
to evaluate trade-offs across cost, service, risk, and sustainability. In an environment filled with risk and disruption, I'm sure every one of us would relish the opportunity to get a glimpse into our supply chain futures. This is going to be a fascinating episode, so make sure you tune in. And if you enjoy the show, there's a few ways to support us. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. You can also subscribe to our newsletter over at letstalksupplychain.com. And you do not want to miss our newsletter because it is filled with all of the latest in the industry. And then also subscribe to our YouTube channel over on YouTube called Let's Talk Supply Chain. And remember, we have some really cool merch for that supply chainer in your life over on letstalksupplychain.com. So go and check it out. And if you subscribe to our newsletter, you get our supply chain dictionary for free. And then remember, if you are looking for a membership group, if you are looking for a group in supply chain, we have that for you. It's called the Secret Society of Supply Chain. And we wanted to make sure that we had networking opportunities and brought people from the industry together in a variety of groups that you can choose is the right one for you. The first one is the supply chainers. And we have 450 hours of exclusive content with some of the biggest brands and their supply chain leaders talking about best practices. Now that's a value of $10,000 just for $14.99 a month. And you can win a pair of Air Force Ones, Nike Air Force Ones. And those are the Let's Talk Supply Chain ones. Next, we have a monthly meetup for women in supply chain. It's professionally facilitated for personal and professional growth. You get access to the supply chainers group when you join our Women in Supply Chain virtual monthly meetup. Up, and it's like $30,000 worth of value for $2,200 a year. The networking, the mentorship, the content um, is just incredible. And so are our facilitators. Then we've got a virtual monthly meetup for marketing professionals in supply chain. And now you're not going to want to miss out on this one. This is like $50,000 of value for $6,500 a year because you get access to the supply chainers. So all that exclusive content, you get to get together with industry peers every single month. I'm going to be facilitating that group. And so we're going to be talking about marketing every single month. Um, I'm going to be bringing experts for you to learn from. I'm going to be bringing uh, potential clients in front of you so you can talk about your campaigns and what's going to land and what's not. Please reach out to us at hello at secretsocietyofsupplychain.com and we will send you some more information. And remember, if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, go ahead and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.